I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, where we have breaking news. UCLA just scored another touchdown, so that you know that that's that's important. Um, <laughs> this is Brian Cogger. Thank you for joining us. We are your podcast source for uh, Pac-12 football news and the home of the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistical Model. We talk gambling and the home of the original. Pac-12 Survivor Pool in which it was uh, it was a massacre. It was Black Saturday here at 12-Pack Radio in regards to the Washington State-UCLA game, which of course we were going to get into. Thank you for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at 12-Pack Radio. You can go to our website sharpcollegefootball.com. You can check out all of Max Meyer's stuff at Sports Illustrated Gambling and of course subscribe to the podcast for free. We're live from the Vivid Seat Studio. You know it. Where if you download their app, you can get $100 off of your first time purchase of tickets if you use their app in the promo code Overtime Time. But the most important thing today is to talk back to a football. And to do that, we are joined by Beta Rank's advanced college football statistical model guru who nailed UCLA over Washington State. No, no, that, that's not true. But but still, Rob Bowron <laughs> is here. What's going on, Rob? Hey, you know what the model did nail? The model actually had USC over Utah. Oh, um, yeah. I got a lot of pushback yeah. from Utah fans there, I'm sure. I Oh, man, I had a, a, a exceedingly irate Utah fan. Um that when he saw where Utah was ranked this week, he just he said my model was insert expletive, and then he's like, and it just keeps getting more expletive. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was right. The model also, I took some heat from Michigan fans on uh, Reddit this week um, because the model had Wisconsin as a pretty significant favorite, and. Uh, well, I'm, I, I hope to hear from them this week. <laughs> well, and shout out to our Utah fans for sticking with us. That was a tough loss. We'll break down that game um, because I do think it opens some weaknesses in that secondary that we had kind of flagged a little bit, but not a ton. But still, like uh, Lecky Fotu, holy my God, like yeah. we had talked about how disgustingly inappropriate that defensive line was. And then like three plays in, he just destroys um, another fourth of the USC quarterbacks, uh, you know, core, which is insane. But we'll get into that. So stick with us, Utah fans. Still got a really good team. Tough loss on the road. Um, I think Utah will, will bounce back. But um, also joining us is Mr. Max Meyer from Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated Gambling. What's up, Max? Not much. Just uh, currently watching a Sunday night football game where I'm a little confused since there's no scoring. And I thought all late night football games are supposed to be like 60 to 57 or something like that. It was such a nuts game. Let's get right into it. I think because there's we can approach this from so many angles. So I took I took the plus 18. I kind of figured that UCLA would keep it close. They come out, score 10 points. I'm like, ooh, all right. Like looking, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And that was like in the fourth, fourth quarter or first quarter. And then 
Washington State's offense just decides to show up and they drop like 30 straight points. And I kind of thought, oh my gosh, like, okay, here we go. And then, of course, you know, they're up 32 and UCLA scores that first touchdown uh, in their like 36 point, whatever run it was. And I thought, oh no, (laughs) right when that happened, I'm like, okay, they're going to cover. But because Mike Leach just does not care. There's so many things on that bingo card uh, of Mike Leach coach teams after a big win or like in a big moment, it, whether it's, it's him s- staring out into the cosmos and just with a blank stare on his face, bad special teams, not caring with a big lead and just allowing the other teams to come back. I mean, just a whole wave of cougisms that happened and, Let's go with you, Max. Let's. We had a we had a fourth and five call by Chip Kelly on the twenty yard line when he could tie the game up with a field goal. So many things to cover. What? Where do you want to start? Well, I felt like things were going to get weird when UCLA had that hail mary at the end of the first half that was stopped less than a yard short. And I was like, okay, there's some signs of life, and you know what? It is Pac-12 after dark, so let's get weird. Um, I mean, I. I, w- I was I was really impressed with UCLA's comeback, but they had like every fortunate occurrence like happen to them. Like they had two special teams touchdowns. They had a plus five turnover margin, including they recovered all four Washington State fumbles. It was just like such an unlikely occurrence that everything happened uh, that way for the Bruins, and it's kind of telling that they only won by four despite all all of that happening. Um, so I don't. I mean, it, it definitely was a collapse by, collapse by Washington State, but I just think that it, it it was just like so unlucky for all those things to happen that I'm not like selling Washington State quite yet, even though the defense is atrocious. I still think that they're a, a contender in the, in the Pac-12 overall. It, it was just like a massive step back and just one of those weird, fluky Pac-12 after dark games. The fumble by Aesop Winston on the sideline with about a minute and a half left to go. Rob, I want to get get your thoughts here, but Max, you are the king of the questionable coaching decisions. So Chip Kelly gets the ball. He's on like the 20-yard line, 25-ish yard line with about two minutes to go. Opportunity to tie the game with a field goal. I understand that the kicker might not be the best. He didn't even have the kicker warmed up, Max. He was just sitting there cold. He wasn't kicking the ball into the net. Usually they always shift the camera over like, oh, it's so and so. And he, you know, he's, he's only been 50% so far from it, but there was no statistics, no cameraman on the kicker. There's finally, there's a shot of him just standing there on the sideline like he's a fourth string quarterback. And Chip Kelly decides to go for it on fourth and five. I, at that point, I literally, I literally just thought, Chip Kelly just is collecting a paycheck. He doesn't care. Like the fact that he's actually going to go for this, the the offense has kind of petered out, but it ended up working out because of the fumble. But what did you think when he decided to go for it? I, I was actually fine with him going for it. I mean, you're an 18 point underdog. You're Owen three. Just send a message to your team that you're trying to win. I mean, this, this was a Washington state defense that you had shredded the entire second half. And if it were, were to go into overtime, I mean, do you really think that, UCLA would be able to stop Washington State's offense unless the Cougars fumbled it away again. Um, granted, I mean, fourth and five, it, it's definitely a borderline just because of the yardage, but I was actually totally fine with Chip's decision, and I'm glad that he didn't get ripped for it because shortly after, hindsight's 2020, of course, but Washington State fumbled, and then UCLA won, so everyone kind of forgot about that. Yeah. Rob, the real question is, did you stay up on the East Coast to finish this monstrosity? 
I did because oh. <laughs> uh, actually because it put beta rank at fifty five percent against the spread this uh, this week. So I was I was up. Um, and then of course, like once I passed the point where I was like, ah, they're definitely going to cover. Um, and I was like, oh man, uh, this is a game. What the heck? And then I was like, oh crap, I took Wazoo in the eliminator pool. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think the, uh, I think the main thing to point out here is the, is the six turnovers. I mean, I, I, one of these times I'm going to find time to come up with something called when good math goes bad because beta rank you know, with its with its prior probability distribution, predicts winners of eighty percent of the time. And whenever, whenever, whenever there's a when it you, nine times out of ten, when it's when the beta rank was wrong uh, about who won the game, it's usually turnovers. I mean, like, and this is this kind of collapse here. You know, five. You know, you know, minus five on turnovers is it, it's enough to really lose you any any football game. Um, but I think what's surprising though is even with the turnovers. Man, UCLA, UCLA threw for 507 yards. Yeah. UCLA. <laughs> now, granted, some of that was, uh, you know, five, five yard hitch routes and, and somebody goes for 10, 15, 20 yards. It seemed like those seams were killer for yeah. Washington State. And you've been following their defense. I, of course, have been a big defender of Tracy Clay's and the defense he has there. Clearly, clearly did not pull through. Didn't make me look great uh, after last podcast. But how do you, like, were, were you paying attention to any adjustments that they were trying to make or, like, any way to stop, uh, you know, UCLA? Because it seemed like UCLA is pulling out all of the stops to try to win that game. They did, like, that weird play where thompson robinson runs to the left and then the tight end streaks and he turns around and throws it and there, there was a number of those types of plays but for the most part to catch up it was just a lot of big big chunk yardage plays that they were able to give up and i know thompson robinson looked like it, like he just he was joe montana all, all of a sudden but most of those passes weren't bombs out you know tw- at 20 yeah. yard routes and stuff no, I mean it was it was relying on the fact that UCLA just realized that they had far better skill position players than Washington State had to do in coverage, um, and Clay's response seemed to be uh, more often than not trying to find ways to put to put pressure on um, Thompson Robinson, and it it wasn't working. Uh, but more more to the point, I mean they were just getting. I mean, it was missed tackle after missed tackle. I mean, in two, I mean, two special teams touchdowns. I mean, this, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> so, you know, UCLA, I mean, had everything, everything going for them uh, in a lot of ways in this game, but uh, that still should not take away from like, you know, some of the things that, that we did learn in the game. And I think that we saw a little bit in the Oklahoma game that UCLA's offense was was putting it together more. I mean, at least more. I mean, I'm not, this is not me saying that they have any kind of credible, amazing offense, but they, they were a far more competent offense than I saw in person in Cincinnati um, or that we saw against uh, uh, not Fresno state. Was it Fresno state? Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati, San Diego state, San Diego state. Then we saw against, you know, those two teams, they looked better against Oklahoma and they looked, you know, they, they looked more dangerous here even if they were just putting up big plays and this is this is where ucla could be dangerous because they uh they do have you know they they recruited really well they do have a lot of very very high you know skilled players on their you know in their positions and if they can get those guys the ball in space you know they can put up big plays that's what the only thing that they did in that cincinnati game was a couple of big plays so that's where they might be a dangerous team i think down the stretch but 
Well, I don't know. I would not. Yeah. I mean, I mean, da- sure. I mean, when I say dangerous in the South, I mean, like they might beat somebody that like they might beat They're They're not going to be in any way contending for the South title. They might, however, knock somebody off and give them a very unfortunate loss. And they've had some injury. And like, first of all, I'm, I think they went two more games like in the conference at all. I, I just, yeah. I mean, good, a good win. It was a big deal. It was nice to see Chip Kelly happy and all that stuff. With that said, I just I, there's nothing else on this coaching staff that is. I mean, they gave up 70, almost 70 points to Washington State. And we've roasted Marcel Yates for doing that multiple times at Arizona. And of yeah. course, here you have uh, UCLA's defensive staff. With that said, they have a couple injuries that, that have been kind of filled in. So Keyshawn Lucier South, who was the guy that actually caused the fumble at the last play, um, is back. And he was the number one recruit coming out of high school, I think, in 2017. So he's back from suspension. Uh, there's likely we saw more Joshua Kelly and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, yes, this team will likely improve, but I just don't think it's going to improve that much but max anything else we should we should cover and on this friend did we miss anything uh no I, I think you got it no like the injuries with like darnay holmes um you said lucifer uh, i actually think though that jalen phillips the who transferred to miami was the 2017 top recruit uh, uh, um lucifer's out it was still still big time um i'm just trying to yeah, no, I, I think we covered it. And and that was just, honestly, it was peak college football. It was beautiful. It was a masterpiece. <laughs> Larry Scott, please do not move these games to 9 a.m. If anything, move them to a midnight kickoff. Oh, that challenge, too. I'm like, how, how, how much does, is it Woody Hayes? How much does Woody Hayes want to get on this action right now? He's just calling and You can see Larry Scott, like, you know, do not answer the call. He's hitting the red button over and over again as he's calling his cell phone and stuff. Uh, I, I guess the last thing, too, is I do think that, when we talk about teams taking on the personality of its coach, I think that can be overblown a lot. It's, it seems to be an adage that's overused. With that said, Washington State, man, like whether it's bowl games or big games uh, after after they've really cleared the way for themselves to make a big statement always tends to be the issue for them. And here we are again. So I hope they bounce back because that that is a fun offense. Nine touchdowns. I mean, just a gazillion yards of offense. Max Borgie looked amazing um, and still they lost the game. So still a dangerous team that I'm happy and very excited to watch as we move forward. Uh, let's, let's talk about some more general items. Max, what else stood out for you when you watched this week's slate? Uh, well, I mean, USC, which I, I'm, I'm glad that we were, or I did, I think two of us picked USC, but not, I, I mean, I, I didn't have them outright. I, I just thought they were going to cover the spread. I thought anything above three was just, I thought that it, 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 it was it, like the value was where USC or was with USC after that. Um, but overall, I thought it was more Utah losing the game than USC winning the game. Like Utah had an absurd amount of penalties. Um, the offense just isn't the same with Zach Moss out. Um, and then uh, it, I mean, the secondary wasn't great. And, and I think it was more USC's wideouts that were taking over versus Matt Fink. Uh, even though I think did admirably filling in, but there were some, just, he, he had some floaters Yeah, <laughs> like Michael Pittman just came down with. Um, and, and even though uh, you, you look at the box score and you only see one sack for Utah's uh, vaunted defensive line, they were pressuring Fink pretty much every snap and USC's ground game was non-existent. So I still have major, major questions about USC's offensive line. And we can definitely go into this, um, later on in the show, but I actually think Washington is in an incredible spot this week. 
uh, against the Trojans. I thought it was so bizarre, Rob, that Utah continued to stubbornly press those wide receivers. USC has excellent talent at the wide receiver position at every single person that's on the field. And that man-to-man coverage, like Max mentioned, did, uh, did Matt think, did he win the game? Yes. Did he win the game by kind of throwing some ducks up in the air and praying to God that, you know, Vons would come down and Pittman would come down and catch it? Yeah. There were a number of underthrown balls and it, and I thought it kind of highlighted a bit of the weakness of, U, of Utah's secondary to just allow a number of big plays, but also just to, uh, it just seemed like they got burned a lot and there was this inability to change. Um, yes, the defensive line of Utah is amazing. I think when you take out sacks and in, in like plays, big plays that were lost because of sacks, USC only had like 31 yards on the ground, which is just crazy. Um, but the secondary gave up a ton of points. And I just was, as, as those balls kept being thrown, I'm like, oh my gosh, when are they going to change? And they just really didn't seem like they did, Rob. What did you think about the defensive plan from Utah's standpoint? I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was odd that they didn't make good second half adjustments. It's something that I, I think that they're known for. Um, you know, is being able to make, you know, the, the kind of second half adjustments that usually clamp down on what teams are doing well. And um, they did it in the BYU game when they were actually when they were playing off and BYU was exploiting a lot of underneath throws. They came in and played tight against BYU's wide receivers in the second half and it worked. They they stuck with it. I don't know why they stuck with it. USC has just truly truly absurd talent level. J.D. Daniels used to get away with this last year, too. I mean, he would throw out 500 balls um, and just let his guys go get it. And Fink could do it, too. Um, you can get away with it when you have Michael Pittman going up there to get the ball. But I, I thought, I think this game really exposed. I mean, we knew USC's offense. Like, they haven't been good in the last couple of years. I, I think this game really exposed Utah's offensive line did not have a good game. Um, and then as you guys were just talking about that back end of the Utah defense really didn't look good. Um, and they really struggled in coverage. And I think that, I don't know that the Utes are going to, you're not going to see anybody in the conference that has anything like USC's yeah. talent at wide receiver. Um, but there are some teams that are going to have good enough defensive fronts to give this Utah offensive line fits. Um, and some of what, I mean, I took some of what we saw from Utah in their earlier games where they were playing, they weren't playing really good teams and they weren't dominating them. They, they, I mean, it, it, it showed up again in this game, right? Like, I mean, the, what we saw earlier where we kind of thought like, ah, you know, does Utah really have it? Can they be a top 10 team that comes in and, you know, when they're expected to, to really blow someone out, they do it. You know, they didn't have it. They don't have, they didn't have that extra gear and they didn't have that extra gear in this game. Um, and I, man, I mean, in the off season, when Armand Shine transferred, I said, wow, that's kind of a loss. <laughs> you know, like that's, he was really good last season filling in. And a lot of Utah fans just felt like, no, whatever. Like, you know, our, our running back room is deep enough. It doesn't matter. And man, that offense did not look the same without Zach Moss in there. Their, their running inside didn't work at all. What worked were, I mean, it almost works like a triple option from Navy or those flanker runs to the outside. Those worked really well. And there yeah. was some really violent Utah running on that. But 
most everything else the offense did did not work yeah they had 247 yards on the ground it's funny so i watched this entire game but if you were to look at the box score you went wow everybody got a everybody got a touch of the but yeah they did but it was like you mentioned rob all those end arounds i think it was like five or six people were in the box score is is having a rushing attempt which is pretty crazy and mm-hmm. all of them are for like eight to 15 yards which is pretty funny i actually liked devin brumfield i, I thought he's a talented player and somebody that i'm going to keep an eye on moving forward with utah i thought he was pretty talented and did a lot with um with the, I mean, like that, that front seven of USC is pretty solid. So it was nice to see that. One of the things that really stood out for me was when's the last time you've seen a Utah team that was so undisciplined? I mean, 12, I think it was 12 penalties uh, or something crazy that they had holding and 12 men on the field and unsportsmanlike conduct. And I'm like, this is a Utah team. When you think of of Whittingham and their ability, that coaching staff to get that team focused and ready to go. That, that, that just wasn't there this game. And it certainly cost them. It also cost USC though. <laughs> it was kind of like an under the, under the radar thing, Utah's uh, lack of discipline because USC had so many sportsmen like conduct, fa- like ridiculous face mask calls and all of the criticism that we had for USC's defense in the first half of that Stanford game came back in full in this game, but still the talent on the field, Max, when it comes to USC, I mean, like, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Talanoa Hafunga was amazing. Gateote was really, really good. I mean, they had players flying all over the place, but still that lack of discipline, I think is going to bite them in the future. Yeah. And, and I was actually impressed. Um, USC lost both of its starting cornerbacks, uh, due to injury. And so the secondary was not at safety, but at corner, it was makeshift and they were still able to do a nice job. It was, it was a bend don't break kind of defensive night for USC. Utah was able to move the ball. They just couldn't really finish. And then I, I just thought the Utah um, lost fumble uh, before the end Ugh. of the first half. That's kind of, that's kind of what swung the game. Yeah. I guess last thing here when it comes to Utah and USC, man, that game was so physical. I, I liked that. I like the fact that they were really trying to hit each other. And um, and it started from the very one of the first snaps of the game went all the way to the end. But uh, something to keep a lookout for. At, at the end of the day this week for me, and I'm not sure about you, Rob, but this was a moment of clarity week where – it just seems like I kind of get a, I think I have a good feel for what teams are and what they can be. You know, USC more talented, obviously, and, and going to be able to come up. They're not going to be the USC that goes like seven and five. They'll, they'll be able to win a number of games. Stanford is trash. Oregon looks great. Um, I think we know what Cal is now. I think Washington's gotten its act together. Utah's still good. Maybe not, not good enough to win the conference, but still has a talented team. It just seemed like everything kind of fell into place. And, and I'm excited to see all of these conference games going forward. So I think I got a good handle on the conference. Did you get that feel this week? Yeah, I feel like we're starting to teams are starting to and units are starting to settle into sort of where, you know, they're going to really end up, I think. And I think we're seeing that Washington's, you know, offense and their offensive line and their play calling, which was kind of a problem last season, is is better this season. Um, they're off. They've been able to, to block much more effectively. The play calling's just been better, top to bottom, um, and they look like a good offense. I think their defense. We still have some questions. You know that that BYU game. Um, the the turnovers covered up some sloppy play uh, by the defense in that game, but. Uh, you know, I think that they're certainly going to be good enough that no one's no one's going to be able to just run away from Washington at all. That and that Oregon game with as bad as Stanford is, and now with Washington State already having lost one, that becomes crucial um, in deciding who's going to win the North. As as we knew it was going to be, I guess already, but now it it feels like you know whoever wins that, and if you know whatever happens that Oregon Cal game, 
Cal's taken, I think Cal's taken a bit of a step forward on offense and we, we, we know how good that defense is. Um, so that's a, that's a plus that makes it a much more interesting race. Uh, the South is, <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can sort of put your finger on some things and then with the North contenders and you're like, yes. And you're like, ah, Stanford, not good, you know? And, um, you know, like Oregon's defense has really taken a big step forward. Um, and Avalos has answered a bunch of questions that I had about the hire, uh, it for the positive, but the South, I mean, I don't think Utah's done, but I think they still have some things to figure out, and they've got to find another gear on both offense and defense if they want to win uh, the South. Because that team that we saw this week and that we've seen thus far um, is probably going to lose two more games at least. I mean, my big soapbox um, with Utah is like, if you can't throw the ball through the air, you cannot win this conference. Like, you can't make that next step in 210 yards against, like you mentioned, Max, some backup. Now, talented backup, but backup um, cornerbacks at USC is not going to cut it for Utah. I totally agree with you there. Oh, and uh, oh. I mean, ASU, I don't know. <laughs> Colorado, I don't know. <laughs> Arizona, who knows? <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I feel like I need like at least two more games to get a handle on some of these South teams because like and Colorado lost to freaking Air Force last week. Like, <laughs> and Michigan, ASU went beat Michigan State. Like, I, I still feel like I got to get more of a handle on those teams. <laughs> well, let's and, do. And, and oh, so yeah. that happened. And then, and Colorado, they had so many major injuries in that Arizona State game, and they mm-hmm. still pulled it out. That was yeah. crazy. I, I, like, I, as, as much as I want to say I have a grip on this conference, this conference is too unpredictable week to week for me to fully say that. <laughs> Um, I mean, I wasn't like Oregon's defense is legit. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't that impressed with the offense, mostly because of the offensive line, which I thought Stanford worked them. Um, they, did, yeah. I mean, they, they, they were getting pressure on Justin Herbert often. Uh, the run game, uh, wasn't that great, but Herbert did a great job through the air, but Marcus Arroyo, his play calls once again, coming under fire because they should have been throwing every single play instead of running it a majority of the time. Uh, but I, I really was impressed with the defense. I, I think KJ Costello must be hurt. It just seemed like that he didn't take, he barely took any deep shots. Maybe it was just because his receivers couldn't get separation or, or Stanford's offensive line was putrid too, but he just, he just didn't look right. And I, I wasn't sure how to explain that. Let's get into best picks, worst picks. Um, and let's, Definitely preview week. Where are we on week five already? That's crazy. And let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Not the best week for for Twelve Pack Radio. I'm not going to lie. I think I did the best, and I went three of three. <laughs> so here, here we are. But Max, you you've, didn't everyone go three and three? Don't worry no, about. I it. went two and four. Oh, <laughs> don't worry about it, Rob. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I you're like, I did the best, and I went three and three. I'm like, wait, I went three and three. What? <laughs> and, Is there some tiebreaker that I'm not aware? It's of? like an alphabetical order. It's an alphabetical order, just like in the newspaper. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, let's start with you, Rob. What, what were what were your best? What was your best pick? What was your worst pick? Uh, I would say my best pick. Um, 
I'm going to say the I'm going to say the Washington over uh, going over on that. I just I I I believe the model believed in Washington. I guess you could say I didn't think BYU was that impressive. Um, they would have hit it anyway, but all those turnovers just uh, sealed the deal pretty quick. What was your worst pick? Oh, the worst pick was uh, Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have, I have no regrets with the Stanford pick. Um, I feel like most of the time Stanford covers, even though Oregon outplayed them, but at or there, I just don't trust Oregon's coaching staff. And, and that game did little to ease my concerns with that group. Um, worst pick definitely have to go BYU, uh, Washington totally outclassed them and, and, uh, turnovers played a role, especially that Washington fumble return for a touchdown, but Washington looked really legit. That was the team I was actually by far the most impressed with uh, this past week. Uh, best pick? Um, oh, uh, Colorado. I just didn't think Arizona State should have been a touchdown favorite in that game. And it just Herm plays close games. Yeah. And if, if there if there is a big spread in an Arizona State game, whether they're a favorite or an underdog, and that's what we got each of the past two weeks, with ASU Michigan State and now ASU Colorado, you should take the underdog in that game because that Arizona State is a team that plays close games. Uh, and so does Cal, which I guess that leads into our, our, our uh, preview for that game. Um, and then also, I guess I had a good, I, a good handle on the USC-Utah game. Uh, definitely got lucky on USC first half with the Utah fumble. Um, at the end of it, that would have pushed though. It, it wouldn't have lost, but I'll still take it. And then full game. Um, I, I, I just thought Utah was a little overrated coming into it. And now it looks like the market's slightly adjusted. There you go. All right, let's get into our preview this coming week right now. Hey, um, can I get some PAC 12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? PAC 12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. All right, all right. We are ready to go through week five of Pac-12 football. Let's start with what I would assume to be the marquee game Saturday at 1230 p.m. on September 28th. USC is a nine-point underdog on the road at Washington. And that's kind of what I thought this would be, around nine, maybe nine and a hook. And uh, Max, after watching USC and watching Washington just dismantle BYU, this is a pissed off Washington team. I still think there are some flaws there that USC's defense might be able to expose a little bit. But um, at Seattle, a team that, you know, obviously saw their hopes on a bizarre game at Cal that went to like two in the morning, take away what is likely an opportunity at a playoff spot. What do you think about this uh, matchup? I actually do not like this spot for USC. And I know people are going to say, oh, USC's back. They beat Utah, uh, Washington. I mean, they've been shaky in big Pac-12 games over the years. I actually think Washington matches up really nicely. So um, as you guys obviously know, and I'm sure the audience knows, Chris Peterson has Mike Leach's number. Uh, Washington just completely owns Washington State. And, and part of it is because Washington does a great job stopping the air raid. Now, USC has much more talented receivers than Washington State has had, but I still think that the same principles will apply. Um, and I really liked how, um, how Washington's secondary looked against Hawaii. I, I guess besides that Hawaii run in the second half, but I think overall it was a strong game. Um, 
And I, I still don't trust the USC offensive line. I, I'm really, really impressed with some of the throws Jacob Eason was making against BYU. He has a really strong arm. And USC's tackling, very suspect. It was either a missed tackle or a penalty that it was like every other tackling opportunity. It was crazy. Um, and then just Peterson versus Helton. And I know that we said the same thing with Whittingham versus Helton. Uh, last week for that coaching advantage, but I, I feel like it's different with Helton on the road. And um, I, I guess people might be surprised that USC is that big of an underdog uh, when their talent level is so high, but I, I don't think you should be. I, I really like Washington in this game, actually. Taking a look at some of the numbers from the Washington BYU game. So you're right. Jacob Eason had a heck of a game. 24 for 28, 293 touchdowns and a pick. I love the fact, guys, that Washington was able to get 187 yards on the ground uh, against BYU. That BYU team has has a decent front seven, and I know that they focus on trying to stop that run. So it was nice to see that. Um, and, and the fact of just holding BYU with, you know, they, they have the Zach Wilson isn't going to be a barn burner, but he was a talented player that can get some yards, clearly showed that against USC. And I, I think he'll be able to be a pretty solid quarterback this entire year. So it was nice to be able to hold him to 19 uh, points on the game. And Rob wanted to get your numbers here because I'm just fascinated to see what beta rank did with USC following the win over Utah and where it has Washington now that they've really just manhandled a couple of opponents. So Washington's hanging tight. Um, right about, I mean, USC comes in at 28, Washington comes in at 20. You know, Washington's offense has started to show out and look a lot better. Their defense is a little worse than we expected, but not much. But Washington comes in and in beta rank at a, just over just about seven points. So 7.02 uh, point favorite in the game. Um, the key here, I think, is that Washington's offense uh, is, is grading out at 13 um, and they're balanced. They're number 24 running the ball, number 20 throwing the uh, throwing the ball. Um, their, their drive efficiency is way up They're at number 22 in drive efficiency. So, you know, even if they don't put up explosive plays, like they're still going to put up points, they don't go three and out very often, uh, or turn the ball over They're number 16 in negative drives on offense and USC's defense is, isn't great right now. Like, because even though they've had some good performances, it's not been against great competition. Stanford's offense isn't where we thought it would be. Utah's offense is underperforming a bit. So USC's defense right now comes in at number 59. Mm. Um, and they're they're struggling a little bit. Number 56 against the run. Um, number 64 against the pass. Uh, I think that the tough thing, I mean, the, the interesting thing here will be USC's defensive line has looked very good early on against some offenses that don't grade out very well. Fresno state, for example, um, you know, Stanford's Utah's, I think it's the interesting matchup here is that USC defensive front um, and those players against Washington's offensive line, which has looked better thus far. And if Washington can sort of dominate the line of scrimmage, um, that would be, that would be a big thing for them because Washington's defense right now comes in at 36 they're pretty balanced 40 against the rush 41 against the pass, but USC's offense is kind of sneaky. Good. Um, number 16. Um, but they've got almost a Mike Leach split. They are 90, 98 running the ball. Yeah. It's crazy. Number five throwing the ball uh, around. And that, that's going to be, they're, they're not quite a pure, you know, pure air raid team, but I feel like the offensive line is so bad. They almost end up being one. But I also you would also say that I mean Mike Leach has never had wide receivers like this, <laughs> so we'll see how it works. But I think if 
Washington's got a good enough secondary, though, that I think that some of those 500 balls that really just killed the Utes, those those are going to get picked. You're going to have two or three picks in this game for Washington. Yeah, keep an eye out on those injuries oh. on uh, USC's secondary. I think the main matchup here is Jacob Eason versus a talented but still inexperienced uh, young USC secondary, and then vice versa. You know, what can what can these awesome wide receivers do against, I still think, an untested secondary at Washington? I mean, this, this will be the real talent. If you're a Washington fan, I think the biggest question mark was in, in the secondary. Are, are we going to be able to do what we've wanted to do um, with all these new players? And now you're going to be tested. This is probably the strongest test they'll get in regards to uh, the wide receiving talent. But that's kind of those are the two items that I had identified. What were you going to say, Max? Well, I was going to say you also just keep an eye on Keaton Slovis's health because he's in concussion protocol. And I, and even though Fink uh, had the strong numbers against Utah, I still think that Slovis is, is, is a sizable upgrade at quarterback compared to Fink. And then the other thing is, I, I think BYU gave Washington the blueprint about how to slow down USC, and Utah didn't really do that. And that was BYU only rushed three, and they dropped eight back into coverage. And Utah just kept on, on you know, sending at least four every time, and, and USC was able to take advantage. But that offense definitely slowed down in Provo when, when BYU was going to that defensive strategy. And I, 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 I think that Peterson will probably end up doing that as well. Yeah, that's a great point. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take uh, Washington. I just think that they, they really stomp on USC here by at least uh, two touchdowns at home. I don't trust whatever quarterback it is. I'm not there in regards to whether or not they can live up uh, to expectations on the road in a tough environment. And I just don't trust, I still don't trust USC's defense. Uh, they're just so undisciplined. They made so many stupid, stupid boneheaded mistakes at home of all places. And I just, I don't trust them to put it together as talented as they are, but we'll see what Rob, who are you taking? I mean, it's tough. I mean, what's it at nine? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah I'm a, I'll take Washington. It's it, it feels like a lot of points to take on on this USC team, and I, I think a lot of people are seeing this as maybe a shootout. I think it could end up maybe even being a low scoring game, but. Um, yeah, I'll take Washington. Yeah, and that defensive line, like you mentioned, against Washington's offensive line, another key matchup to look out for. Next game, seven p.m. Washington State on the road after just a like a soul sucking like Temple of Doom rip the heart out of the chest and it's beating as you're chanting to the the masses. Loss to UCLA. They go on the road now. They have Utah and they're a six point underdog on the road in Salt Lake City. Rob, what what do the numbers say about this matchup, and where on earth does Washington State's defense go after that monstrosity against UCLA? Um, well, the the numbers actually like Washington State a bit in this game. Like a, they Utah has not played up to expectations so far, um, and Washington State's sort of fallen back to where we expected them to be. So Utah comes in at 44, Washington State's at number 35. With the, you know, you know, you, Washington, it's basically a pick em game uh, on the road. So it's a point oh seven, you know, less than a point for Washington oh, State wow. what they're giving them. Yeah. And this this game is this game is going to be tough. I mean, Utah's offense comes in at number 44. Oh, wait, no, that's what they're sorry. That's what the team is. Um, Utah's offense comes in at number 61. Um, their number is 30 running the ball, number 79 throwing the ball. Uh, this this offense you know, yeah, they're good. Like Washington State's defense isn't great right now. Um, they've fallen back. They're at number sixty-four, um, and they really they're really struggling against the pass. Number seventy-nine, number forty-six against the run. But you know, 
that they sort of match up in, in strength for, you know, they're actually a little better at what Utah is good at. So that's going to be a tough matchup. And then this Washington state offense is still pretty good. Number 19, number three, throwing the ball, number 123 rushing the ball. Um, they're still ridiculously explosive. Number two, an explosive drive. So they're, uh, this is going to be a dangerous, you know, dangerous thing for this Utah team because they really, as we saw, they really struggled. They were, they grade out at number 81 against the pass and number 16 against the rush coming into this game. So there's, this is, this is sort of does not play exactly into the Utes hands. Although we said that about UCLA. <laughs> 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 um, I just, I thought that like, I, I think the line opened up even higher. Um, it did it, 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 like it crossed back under a touchdown, which I, I think tells you a lot. Yeah, I thought it opened up at like nine. Um, <laughs> oh man! Which oh, yeah, was, I saw, yeah, I saw at least seven and a half for that one. Um, oh, wow, nine, it, nine, nine is nine is crazy. Nine is tasty. Maybe it was seven and a half. Maybe it was seven and a half for this, which I thought was high. Um, like that's I, I, I don't know that Utah has done enough actually on the field this season to convince me in Washington State. I mean, they had a they had a you know. Ohio State a couple of years ago, they went into Iowa and lost, you know, big. They had like five turnovers. Like when you have five turnovers, bad things happen. It doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean that you are a terrible football team. Max, you hear the numbers. I, I, you know, it's interesting because Washington State's rushing attack, of course, is always going to be low. That's a sneaky low, though, because Max Borgi is just a heck of an offensive weapon. So uh, I always think it's interesting with that. I, think I always always put Washington State's running game with an asterisk right now on that front. But do you think Washington uh, State's going to be able to, to turn the tide here? Six points seems kind of high, I still think. I, I like this Washington State team. I don't trust the secondary after um, getting torched by USC. Again, like Rob mentioned... This isn't the talent that you're going to see at USC, but I think having a good quarterback, a poised quarterback on the road, they've already been tested at Houston, uh, be able to put things together. I don't know. It, it seems like six is a lot of points, but what do you think? Uh, no, I, I agree. And, and I'm glad that Rob's uh, model uh, says it as well. But like, like Rob was saying, I, I just think Washington state matches up nicely with Utah's strength. So one of the staples under Mike Leach is, Washington state's offensive line is usually really strong at pass protection. And then also it's a lot of quick throws. So yeah. I think that Utah's pass rush gets neutralized in this game. Uh, and then also Utah, at least um, last season and, and this season, they've struggled with the air raid. Like uh, Utah went up to Pullman last year and they were slight road favorites. And then uh, Washington state won a shootout there. Uh, I just think that this is a defense that struggles with the air raid just because when it's pass rush can't really get going because of all the quick throws it, it and Utah's secondary was exposed even though they do have a lot of talent there, but the defensive line is really the, the key to this, this defense. And then also I still have questions about Utah's linebacking uh, core with uh, Chase Hansen and Cody Barton now in the NFL. And I don't know if they, I don't think that they found an adequate, adequate replacement tandem for those two. Um, and then just how we were talking about it before. I just thought Washington state's loss was fluky. And so I think people are just going to see the score and just say, Oh, Washington state collapsed. But with the, with the minus five turnover differential, and that includes incredible fumble luck. And then the two special teams turnovers. I don't think Washington state was as bad as the box score would suggest. It was just a lot of unfortunate events that happened. So, I mean, I, I, I hope I wish that this game will get back up to a touchdown. I doubt it will. But I think that the that the money is already 
uh, been taken on Washington State, and the, and the line has dropped to lower than a touchdown. I think kind of tells you uh, or paints a picture here. But I'm also going to be keeping an eye on Zach Moss's status because if he's in, I, I still think that he's one of the best running backs in the country. And getting him against Washington State's defense that can't really tackle at all would be <laughs> a, a nice boost there. But if he's out, it's it's just a really, really tough one for Utah, I, I think, to cover as, as the six-point favorite. Yeah, I see that. And plus, the it looked like it was a shoulder injury. So even if you get Zach Moss at 80%, but with a bump shoulder, might not be great. Um, I'll take the points. I'll take Washington State. You know what? You know what? I'm going to sprinkle a little money on that money line. I'm going to sprinkle a little money on that money line. I don't know. I don't know. Six. Just, just, just throwing it out there. It might be, might be interesting to see whether or not Wazoo, uh, could pull the upset in Salt Lake City. I, I actually, frankly, hope they don't. I'd like to see Utah get it together and, and really bring a little bit more strength in the South, but we shall see. All right. Let's move to Friday, September 27th at 7.30 PM. Arizona State is a four and a half point dog on the road in Berkeley, California against the California Golden Bears. And let's talk a little bit about that Cal win over Ole Miss. They go across the country into Oxford. Probably not an easy pl- to fly from Pullman to Oxford. How many different connecting flights would you have to do if you didn't have a private plane? Probably like five. Um, in any case, they, they make it all the way out there. They play some offensive and defensive coordinators that are familiar with Cal and end up coming up with a win 28 to 20 max did you watch any of this game or your impressions uh i watched some of it i didn't watch all of it um but just based off the box where I, I couldn't believe how many explosive plays cal had but i guess uh they were really happy that they got to go up against the mike mcintyre defense again <laughs> um and no I, and cal came into the game as one of the worst uh third down offenses in the in the in the country and they were able to convert some really key uh third and longs in that game that i think really helped uh obviously the i mean the big national storyline is the ending of that game whether or not Ole Miss should have uh, gotten that touchdown at the end but on fourth down evan weaver who i think should be the favorite uh, right now for the Benaric Award, uh, he just made another stop, and he he's just insane. Him and that secondary, it, it's it's just beautiful football. Evan Weaver, twenty-two tackles, two quarterback hurries, like you mentioned, Max wins the game, and I love how he played that. Right, see, he knows it's a sneak. He waits to see that second push and then runs in and stops the touchdown. Just a baller play. And then afterwards comes out and just throws massive shade at the SEC. Basically saying, like, this is a, a mid-tier SEC. They expect everything. We came in there and showed them that. Like, we he's like, basically said, our body clocks were at 9 o'clock. We could have played that at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 5 a.m. It doesn't matter. I mean, he really went he, he went guns a-blazing after that game. And good for him. That was a big win. Rob, did you have a chance to – I mean, Chase Garbers, by the way. 23 yeah, and 35. Yeah, go for it, man. He had a great game. <laughs> no, Chase Garbers did. He had a great game um, in there. And it, I think it really, what, what was interesting there is because the Cal offense up to this point in the season, when they had to reach down into the well uh, to, to find something, it was running the football. And uh, Garbers had himself a game against a, a decent, you know, defense. Um, and Cal's grading out at number fifty-eight on offense this season, which is kind of where we said they'd kind of they, you know they'd have to be with as good as that defense could be to to kind of be a dangerous team. And uh, they look like it's like they're suddenly an interesting squad. Um, you know, 
not just I mean, not just with the Washington win, but this win here. I mean, this was another sort of real prove it game for the Bears, and they went and did it. Um, it was, and I was watching. You know, it was amazing. Evan Weaver, Evan Weaver should talk all the like. He talked a lot of trash before, the, like before and after that Washington game. He like, did. He's, and he should. I mean, <laughs> I I don't mind it when players do so much. Like I find it silly when coaches talk a bunch of trash. But um, yeah, like Evan Evan Weaver deserves it. Like they, he 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 and those guys have built you know what this team is sort of on their back. So good for them. It's crazy. Four touchdowns, one pass to nine different receivers from Chase Garbers. There's players that I had never even heard of, and we did a whole deep dive into Cal. Like, who is that guy? Um, but yeah. it was ended up ever like spreading the ball around. Like you mentioned, to get uh, gets a good defense. One thing to keep in mind, they gave up about 500 yards to uh, Ole Miss. So uh, I, I trust that defense is on the road. It's a whole different environment, but I just thought that was interesting that, you know, we think of Cal about his defense and they gave up about 350 yards in the air, about 177 on the ground. So just something to flag on that front. All right, let's move to Arizona state. And I should apologize. So I'm a graduate of the university of Arizona and I had a couple of our listeners say, Hey, Brian, you had referred to Arizona as Arizona. Arizona State and Arizona State is Arizona. I am so deeply sorry. I, I tweeted out that I had uh, sentenced myself to watching the Cheez It Bowl for five hours and, and, and paying my penance. Um, but I totally apologize about that. Like, I can't believe that we did that. We ne- we always make fun of other people for doing that. So just know um, but we were recording a Wildcat Radio Arizona podcast right after la- the last week's podcast that we did. So that's probably why. Um, with that said, Arizona State 31, Colorado 34, the Buffs going on the road, laying the wood without LaVisca Chenault, without Mustafa Johnson, end up winning that game 34-31. Quite an upset, uh, but one, Max, that you uh, had had kind of identified as being a game that w- there's just too many points. I think Colorado closed as an eight-point eight underdog. They end up not only covering the spread, but winning the game outright. Yeah, and I think the one thing that really threw Arizona state off was Colorado going up tempo. It, it just seemed that Arizona state's defense had, had no answer uh, for that. And when Chanel came, came out, it was Tony Brown who really stepped up it and he had a monster game uh, for the buffs. They, they have some nice receivers. I mean, especially when Lavishka's healthy. Um, but I have to, that, I thought that was the most impressive Colorado win for me even over the Nebraska win, just because it was on the road. They did it with a couple of their top players injured. Um, and I, I just, I, I came away really impressed. Granted, I still think that Arizona state and Colorado are our teams that I'll be looking to fade because I don't really, um, I don't really back their statistical profiles so far. Um, but yeah, I, I just came away with, with uh, impressed with that uh, Colorado win. I, I thought it was a nice team effort there. Yeah, and ASU is a tough play, place to play. That's it's hot. That crowd really gets into it. I think it's one of the more underrated crowds in the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, just on the road, like you Mel mentioned, Tucker was poaching in shorts. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That was awesome. <laughs> Good for him, man. A little business casual on that sideline, right on. Um, I, I think one of the things that stood out for me, Rob, was only one sack by Colorado's defensive line the entire game. Again, Mustafa Johnson was injured, but um, we've been talking about that offensive line on ASU side kind of being a mess. And I thought that was something that stood out to me as in regards to, okay, like they're starting to put it together. And is is Colorado's front seven a devastating unit in the Pac-12? No, but they do have a, a couple of decent players. And uh, to keep Jaden Daniels healthy and on his feet was pretty impressive. Uh, but what'd you, what stood out for you in that game? I mean, I, I think it... Uh, and Max on it, I think, with the 
Colorado's wide receivers, some of whom I think we were we were led to believe were going to break out last year, and I think are breaking out this year. Yeah, <laughs> um, like like Brown. Uh, but I also think, man, Arizona State's wide receivers had themselves a game too, um, sort of under the radar, you know. And Daniels Daniels had himself a nice, you know, a pretty nice game with the you know the three forty five. But those Arizona State wide receivers were really breaking open you know, against that Colorado uh, secondary, which is, is not good. Uh, they, they do not have a good defense at all. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was, I thought that was, what was interesting though, was that Colorado Arizona state's defense, which we, we expected to fade a bit down, down the stretch. Like they really didn't have it this game at all against that Colorado offense. Um, and it was Montez just, I mean, carved him up. I mean, 23 or 30 is for as deep, as many deep balls as he was throwing it is, is fantastic. And they, they didn't have good answers in coverage. They didn't have good answers to get uh, pressure on him. Um, and that, that gives you a lot of questions because I don't I still don't think that I – I don't know if I buy enough of this offense if this defense isn't very, very good. No, totally with you. Uh, with that said, Colorado jumps out, like you mentioned, Rob, to a 14-point lead immediately. I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> all right. And then, and then the defense starts to be Colorado's defense and allow Brandon Ayuk and company to really carve him up. I love the fact that they let Jaden Daniels sling the ball around. Like you could tell the coaching staff is that secondary. Yeah, you can go through it, kid. 40 passes, uh, two touchdowns, yeah. and w- was really able to uh, move the ball down the field about 108 yards on the ground through the rushing attack with Eno Benjamin, uh, two touchdowns, but only at, well, only actually 4.2 is, is pretty good per carry uh, for Eno Benjamin. I know he's been bottled up a lot because the defenses have been focused on him moving into this game. So I wanted to take Cal. I was like, oh, four and a half Cal at home. Like, I don't know if ASU can move the ball. I don't know if they're going to be, uh, if I think they're going to be bottled up by the secondary and that defensive front. But Max, right off the air before we started recording, you seem to like the spot for Arizona State. Yeah, I do. Um, Friday nights have not been kind to Pac-12 favorites. Uh, and I know it, that, that's narrative-based. Uh, don't worry, that's not the only reason why I, I think Arizona State's the play here. But it's just uh, Pac-12 late primetime games, things get weird. Uh, the total's 40, so you can definitely expect a low-scoring game where there probably won't be, at least I would think, that, that big of a differential. Um and then just other notes about the game. So Arizona State runs a three-three-five base defense under defensive coordinator Danny Gonzalez, and I did not come away that impressed with Cal's offense against North Texas's three-three-five um, earlier this season. And I just think that that defensive alignment can really give this Cal offense fits. Just um, I, I was impressed with how Garbers performed against Ole Miss, but I, I think with ASU secondary, you definitely will not be seeing those types of plays. And then also, like I was saying uh, earlier, ASU's defense really, I, I thought, struggled with Colorado's uh, up-tempo offense, and Cal most certainly will not be doing that, or I'd, I'd be absolutely stunned if that were the case. And then just um, looking at uh, the spot itself, I mean, Cal, it, it cross-country flight, uh, that's definitely draining for college kids. They're coming off a big win over an SEC team on the road, mm. um, and and they're playing on short rest because. So it's just like a bunch of those factors um, that I, I think that I, I, I'd have to take ASU at anything above a field goal. And I think odds makers, even though Cal is ranked and ASU suffered that disappointing loss, the fact that Circus Sports only opened it at three and a half, saying that these teams are, are pretty even, yeah. uh, says a lot about uh, what they think about Cal. 
So here's a question before I get to you, Rob. Max, kind of the same thing with Stanford. Stanford played Oregon, and you go, I get it. Like, all these spots, right? That that all totally makes sense. But how is ASU going to score against Cal? I just don't know. So, I, don't, I still don't trust Jaden Daniels on the road, and Eno Benjamin's been bottled up all year. So from what I've seen from Cal's defense, I think the best way to attack this group is through short passes. And that's actually what Arizona State really excels at on offense. So I, I'm actually – I'm totally fine – with uh, if Arizona State continues to do that against Cal, because I think that they actually have a chance of scoring if that, if that's their offensive mindset going into that game. Hmm. All right, Rob, what do your numbers say? So uh, the model has Cal at 26, ASU at 40 coming into this week. It has Cal with the home field bump at uh, a six-point favorite. And like I said, Cal's offense you know, is grading out at number 58, uh, 43 running the ball, 65 throwing the ball. Uh, Arizona State's offense is down at 63, 96 rushing the ball, 34 throwing the ball around. Cal, the, the trouble is Cal's, Cal's defense, they're not great at, at their rush defense right now. Um, they, 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 you know, Ole Miss, which hadn't graded out great running the ball, did put up some yards on the ground against them. They're at number 39 uh, on effective rush. They're, so they're 16 overall. They're still they're six against the pass. I, I expect that those rush numbers come down. I just ASU strength right now is that wide receiver core. I, st- I still I still think Cal has the best secondary in the country. Um, and I, this just feels like a game, another game that Evan Weaver. I mean, aren't all the games like this? Is, this just feels like it's going to be an Evan Weaver showcase against this offensive line. Um, and Arizona State's defense, they're they're still decent. They grade out at 31. You know, 32 against the rush, 36 against the pass. I just, I'm with you, Brian. I don't know how ASU puts up points in this game. I think that they've got some explosive players. I think that they're going to have some big plays that maybe put points on the board. But I like Cal to, um, you know, find a, find a way to put some drives together like they did against Washington um, and, and put this game away. I'm I'm going to take the Bears uh, here. Oh, four and a half. Oh, my gosh. Like, that gives me so much pause because I want I want to I'm going to take Cal. Ugh. That three and a half open line though, like I hate those, man. That's Vegas just going like, come on in, come on in, like free drinks when you get to the craps table, it'll be fine. <laughs> like that that literally is what that line is saying. Um, but I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know how ASU scores on Cal, and uh, you know, as as much as ASU's defense was. Uh, initially pretty high in beta rank. We had talked about that number going down and, and it is, um, ah, but for, yeah, you're right. Friday night game, not a ton of rest cross country. As, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a ah, damn. All right. I'll take I, <laughs> It's so tough. I hate this line. I am not betting this game one bit. That's for sure. Oh uh, gosh. It's such a, it's going to be such a low scoring game, right? That potentially that, it's it's really just going to break on whether on one of those possessions somebody gets a field goal or a touchdown. Yeah, I mean that's I mean I think Cal wins um, regardless. The question is is like you know do they win by a field goal or a touchdown with that line? All right, I'm going ASU. Also, Rob, oh, Rob <laughs> just curious what what are, what are the team's special teams rank? Oh, good question. Because I feel like in in this game, special teams could play a, a bigger role than most. So Arizona State's at uh, 50, and Cal's at 51 um, okay. overall. Not, so, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still early. Like special teams doesn't settle down for a bit. I mean, if, if you were going to put like, I like uh, Arizona state's kicking game. I like their place kicking game. Like Zendejas does not have a strong leg, but he's super accurate. And that's, that's a weapon to have uh, potentially in this game. But yeah, I mean, like they offset that, that with some sloppiness and some of their other stuff they got going. But Turk, I mean, Turk too is a, is a real weapon. So, I mean, if ASU yep. can clean up their kick, you know, their kick return, that could certainly help, um, and their punt return, uh, because that that could really, yeah, you're right, that could really help in this game with the field position. But man, like Cal had bad field position in that Washington game. They just put together some. I'm just, I'm a believe like this Cal team. I just, I think they got like. Evan Weaver, Evan Weaver is all business. It's just a mission. I mean, he'll he'll talk some he'll talk some smack afterwards. But. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to take ASU. I'm going to take those points. It's going to be. I can see a very close game. All right, I'm going to switch it. All right, all right. Let's go to the next game. 4 p.m. on Saturday. Stanford going on the road to play Oregon State in Corvallis. Oregon State is a three and a half point dog. A home dog coming off of a bye against an offense that cannot put it together with one of the most conservative coaches in America and a defense that may be a little sleazy against the pass. Not too good at it. Um, defending that pass there in the Sanford secondary. Rob, let's see what your numbers say about this because that, that line, right? We had, and we had been bookmarking this for about two months, right? Oh, and I think Max, when you were on this podcast like two months ago, you brought up, oh yeah, look out for that Oregon State Stanford game. Here it is. Oregon State coming off that by Stanford reel in here. Uh, what do the numbers say, Rob? So, so Oregon State comes in at 102. Stanford comes in at 49. Yeah, it's Stanford is a 6.64 favorite in the model coming into this. Um, a lot of, I mean, like we're still in like a lot of preseason data. So, um, some of this is getting held, you know, Oregon state's getting held back by their lousy preseason ranking. Stanford's getting held up by some of their, you know, decent preseason ranking Stanford's offense <laughs> is grades out at the very worst offense in the PAC 12 right now. It's at 71. Mm. Um, they're number 76 running the ball. They're number 53 throwing the ball. Of course, take some of that throwing the ball with a grain. So take some of that with a grain of salt because Costello was out. Stanford's defense, however, um, they come in at 52. Again, not really great. That's more middle of the pack by pack 12 standards though. They're 21 against the rush. They are 90 against the pass. I mean, and, I like or some of Oregon State's pass catchers. Oregon State's offense comes in at 47, number 36 running the ball, number 58 throwing the ball. Um, and I, I, I think that they're. I think this Oregon State offense is, is still has some more life left in them beyond that uh, that grade that they currently have on them. Oregon State's defense, however, that's where I. That's where all the problems come in. They're at 126. Mm. Um, they're at 117 against the rush and 126 against the pass. That's that's where like all my, all my Oregon State dreams always go to die is when I look at their defensive numbers. I, I was not surprised the line came out at three and a half, but um, but a little bit surprised too. I thought maybe they'd give Stanford a little bit more love, but Vegas certainly not big fans and are dangling that three and a half there. What do you think, Max? No, I, I mean. Um, the line opened, I think it opened at Stanford five and a half and, and yeah. quickly dropped to three and a half. I mean, I just, I could not believe how horrendous Stanford's off, offense was against Oregon. And and I know Oregon's defense looks great under Andy Avalos. I just, Stanford looked allergic to moving the football and the offensive line was a disaster, but I mean, that's what happens when you have all those injuries there. Um, the receivers weren't getting separation. I actually, I think Cam Scarlett is, is 
decent yeah, at running been, yeah. back. Um, uh, but Costello, he just, he looks off. Um, and then just looking at the game itself, I mean, Stanford's had a lot of travel um, heading up to this game because they, they had USC and then they go to UCF across the country. And then they, then they come back to Palo Alto. Now they go up to Corvallis. You have Oregon State coming off a bye. Uh, I don't think Stanford will look ahead just because they're on a three-game losing streak. But next week they host Washington, and I think that this like or you'll see an Oregon State team like think like, oh, this is like a, one of our best shots at getting a Pac-12 conference win this year. Um, Jamar Jefferson missed last game against yep. Cal Poly, and, and I'm not sure if he plays, uh, but having him would be nice. But I also think Artavis Pierce is a is a legitimate threat. I really like Isaiah Hodgkins at receiver and Oregon state's receiving core is, is pretty solid, even though uh, their run game is what they're known for. It's just what it, it's, it's basically uh, two brutal units in Oregon state's defense versus Stanford's suddenly underwhelming offense going off against each other. Um, and, and it's whichever team I think can uh, perform better in those situations. They'll probably win outright, but, I don't know. Weird things happen in Corvallis. And the last game Stanford went up to Corvallis, they won by <laughs> one in a game that they said that they shouldn't have won. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think the Beavers cover the three and a half and I'm, I'm, I'm good taking the Beavers at anything above a field goal. Oh my God. One question for you, Rob, cause I know you had mentioned Stanford's run defense. Let's assume Jamar Jefferson is playing in this game. What, uh, what do your numbers have in Stanford's run D? Uh, Stanford's run is, is 21 and okay. they're, they're 90 against the pass. I mean, they're, uh. they really are struggling stopping the ball, you know, but Oregon state can throw the ball. I mean, the tough thing is when you think about this game is, I mean, is you know, we can run up and down like, Oh, Stanford's offense looks terrible. Like, yeah, but they, they basically get a JV squad this week. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like, they're like, Stanford's offense is going to put up points in this game because everyone puts up points against the Beavers. It is, it is the question of like, can, cause I think Oregon, I think Oregon state's offense is, is a little better than the model has them right now, just because of the, the preseason waiting, you know, does Oregon state's offense do enough against Stanford to, mm-hmm. to, I'll take Oregon state. I've, I've said I was going to take Oregon state pretty much for the last couple months. So I'll stick with that. What are you going to take Rob? I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Beavers. I, I I think I think Stanford's in a little bit of a spiral, and I think it keeps going. Yeah, one one player to keep a lookout for on Stanford's front is actually two. Michael Wilson, who's that freshman wide receiver? That guy's good. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the offense isn't good, but I think he's going to be a talented player for a number of years to come. And the other is the linebacker Casey Tuhill. He is he is legit. He will be all over the field. He's really fun to watch. So keep an eye out for him. Final game seven thirty. UCLA on the road against Arizona. Arizona is a seven and a half point favorite at home and they come off of a bye. And Rob, you are an Arizona alum. You watch a lot of Arizona football. What do you think? And what do your numbers say? I thought this line was bonkers. <laughs> I just, uh, so Arizona comes in at number 74. UCLA comes in at 63. Again, there's some preseason weight in there right now. So, um, 
you know, a lot of that is built off UCLA's projection, which it, both of these teams had higher projections than where they currently are. Hey, quick question um, on that, though. How much so because we get a lot of questions on our Twitter feed when we tweet out your numbers. And I think what people don't realize is that and we've said this on the podcast a couple of times, but that your numbers include preseason data up until week six. So what percentage of the model this week is preseason data? It's 37%. So I actually caught myself. I had hard coded and I thought I hadn't. I had hard coded in what the first week was last year. And then the week, the week changed (laughs) football started this year. So I ended up having to go back, but it's 37% for this week. The, uh, this game it's, it's really a, a, a taught like Arizona is a just slight dog in this game to ucla at home like less than it's like 0.26 so it's basically a toss-up uh in the model uh pick them but i'm i was shocked because i don't i don't think that i don't think texas tech is very good (laughs) well neither is ucla to be fair (laughs) right no and that but that's what's that's what's sort of tough about this game, though, is with, with all those points. I mean, they, Arizona opened up an, a nine-point favorite in this game. That's a lot of that's a lot of points to put faith in this Arizona squad in for a team that just hasn't looked very good most of the season and has really one good game two weeks ago that we're we're putting a lot of faith in. That's what I guess I was sort of surprised at that. And like I said, like I don't think UCLA is some amazing football team, but. I don't think Arizona is either at this point. So I, I don't know. Like it just, it seemed like a lot. I agree on most of those points, but the seven and a half came out and I thought, "Hmm, I mean, that's about right for Vegas. It's come come down because people are like, no, nine is bonkers. (laughs) Oh yeah. Nine, nine was stupid, but like seven and a half makes more sense in regards to um, Arizona. One of the things that stood out for me was one of the beat writers for Arizona, who um, who is not Michael Lev, because Michael Lev knows football very well, <laughs> um, had talked about Arizona's coaching staff is licking its lips at what Washington State is doing against UCLA, and I'm like, <laughs> like with Khalil Tate, are you kidding what? me? Like that guy, <laughs> Khalil Tate is not a not a super uh, accurate quarterback. He's actually at sixty three point three percent. This year, but I still do not trust him. He threw for like 56% against Texas Tech. Um, I, I just, that's a totally different offense, and I have a lot of reservations, but I am a little bit like jaded by what I've seen in the past. So, Max, you are an unbiased member of this podcast in this game. How does this game stick out to you? Okay, so when I saw this line, I immediately thought trap because everyone is going to be backing UCLA. So I just wanted to, you know, think outside the box. Why are the odds makers making Arizona such a big favorite? So you have Arizona coming off a bye. You have a second straight road game for UCLA, and you're going from Pullman down to Tucson. So that's some travel there. You have the UCLA potential letdown spot, first win of the season, and and they did it in historic fashion uh, for the program. Um, and, and I did, did I already say Arizona coming off the bye? I, I think I did, yeah. but that as well. Um, and then you have a uh, revenge factor. Arizona lost a close game in Westwood last year. And that game this, along with the Arizona state game, uh, was the reason why they didn't go bowling. Um, so definitely a lot of factors. And, and then like, uh, like what we were saying earlier in the podcast, with the turnovers and the special teams touchdowns that made UCLA look a lot better um, in that game than I, I think that they would have been if uh, you expect like, um, like normal turnover or special teams uh, production. Um, but the problem is I just, I wanted a bad opponent 
or I wanted a, a better opponent uh, for UCLA here so that way I could fade them. I just can't trust Arizona's coaching staff uh, in this one as a, as a touchdown plus favorite. Um, I, I don't trust Sumlin. I, I don't trust Mazzoni. Like Khalil Tate, he's explosive, but he also sometimes makes really dumb decisions. Mar- Marcel Yates and that defense. Uh, I just, it's, it's too many question marks, I think, for Arizona to be over a touchdown favorite. So I get the line, and it's definitely screaming trap to me. But I, I still I still think I have to go with the Bruins here, and I'm going to be kicking myself when Arizona wins by 10. <laughs> Rob, one of the things that you had talked about with your numbers in previous podcasts off the air when we were kind of talking to Arizona and all that, all that was that UCLA's run defense is good, and that's what Arizona is yes. good at. And, I mean, that was kind of why I was laughing about that tweet was that I'm like, you know, yes, UCLA's pass defense is atrocious. Uh, they just gave up nine touchdowns to Washington State. Arizona's wide receivers are not nearly as good as Washington State's wide receivers, and their quarterback is not nearly as accurate or prolific or um, offensively minded <laughs> in terms of like reading the reading what he has as Khalil Tate. So I think that weakness is different. So um, I, I don't know. Like I, I uh, your numbers had this even, right? Yeah. So Arizona, Arizona comes in there. They're at number 41 on offense. They're 20 running the ball, number 72 throwing the ball. I mean, Washington State's number three. <laughs> um, the the things that Eric, like the things that I will say is, though, that, you know, Mazzoni is not stubborn and that like he's not going to be like Cincinnati's offensive coordinator and just keep running the ball up the middle right at the you know the heart of UCLA's defense um, which isn't good I mean they grade out at 80 but there's a huge split there they're number 35 against the run they are 106 against the pass so I do expect like Arizona should have some success throwing the ball maybe more success than they've had up to this point throwing the ball around but like Arizona's going to have to run the ball outside, like inside zone, which is one of Arizona's favorite plays, is probably isn't going to be there in this game, you know. And, and they're going to have, like, they're going to have to find something else uh, there. I think Max, like the Max, and I, like the question I have is that, you know, UCLA and, and Arizona, like this, do I trust? Do I trust this Arizona defense in this game? Do I trust Arizona special teams to not goof? You know, just have another, you know, another game with some really bad punts. I mean, that's it just it feels like a lot of points for for an Arizona team that has been shaky, you know, at points of the season. I mean, they had they had a good game against Texas Tech defensively. Um, and you, I, I, I hope that they come in with, you know, a, a good game plan again for Thompson Robinson. But I mean, UCLA's they're they're bad for sure. But I mean, almost every team UCLA's played is better than Texas Tech. Uh, okay. All right. I'll take the points and uh, the Bruins. I think Arizona wins this game, but it might be closer than it ends up yeah. looking in regards to the spread. Any last words, Max? I uh, just hope to go better than last week on the pod. Um, <laughs> I, well, actually, uh, to be fair, on the pod, I went three and three, but I changed one of my picks uh, because I, I originally took Cal uh, minus two, which was the worst of the line. And then, I don't know, just looking more into the game and, and like I was bringing up, like it was the early kickoff, even though defense travels better than offense does usually. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I will not be changing my picks 
from what I sound like <laughs> from now on. I'm, I'm, I'm always do this season when I do that. <laughs> well, to be fair, I'm, I'm, I'm actually bringing up our records here. So, Max, even with a bad week, you're 17 and 12 against the spread. And, Rob, you caught up to Max, 17 and 12 as well. And I am uh, 14 and 5. So I went 3 and 3 on the week. And, and th- these are all the early spreads. So th- we, we do change our picks over time as the spreads come in. And I'm going to try to do a better job of like sharing that with our listeners. I got to figure out how to do that because I do think the line swings are really important. But so these are just more knee jerk reaction, uh, reactions to the spread. And that's where we're at on uh, the season, which is pretty darn good, uh, in the first place. Well, thank you for coming on, Max. Uh, we can check all your stuff out at Sports Illustrated and Sports Illustrated Gambling. And where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at the Max Meyer, um, I've been dropping some uh, some more gambling tidbits and, and giving out some plays of mine on uh, on Twitter. Uh, so if you want to see where my mind's at, at with live betting, uh, you can follow me on there. And I and I know I, I well at least with today NFL Sunday, I hit both of them that I I hit or I posted on Twitter. And then oh, yesterday in college, well, my big life bet was Michigan 21 and a half. And I was really, really lucky that they covered that one. I, I can't <laughs> believe that they, they came back. <laughs> Wasn't it like 38 nothing for a while? It was it was it ridiculous. Was so gross. And then I needed I needed a fourth down uh, Shea Patterson touchdown uh to cover and it, it was it was beautiful well sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes the bar eats you and and you do tweet out a lot of really good uh kind of factoids in regards to betting and just stuff that i wouldn't think of like on third down conversions this team does x and just so a good follow on twitter and then rob what do you got going at sharp college football and uh just the tools there we just, I mean, when I say we, me, I don't know. We just rolled out, uh, I have a new version of our team comparison tool, um, our matchup tool. And I think it's 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 what I had wanted to sort of build out originally, and I had to figure out how to do it in Data Studio. But um, I think it's I think it's terrific. Now, you can go in and look exactly what team strengths are um, and, and look at the matchups all the way through all the beta rank numbers. And, uh, yeah, it's you should, everyone should check it out. Yeah, sharpcollegefootball.com. Lots of really good stuff there, so definitely check it out. And to finish it off, we have our Pac-12 Eliminator Pool, and it was sad, sad Saturday. So many people ended up picking either ASU or Washington State. Almost the majority of people picking Washington State. So, in memory of the fallen. Oh, by the way, only one host left, and that's Mr. Rick DeNice, who's holding it down. He picked Oregon. And remember, if Abe host from 12 pack radio or wildcat radio ends up winning then we don't need to pay out the pac 12 uh step up gift certificate so all eyes and hopes are on you mr rick denice but with that said here is in memory of the departed bryant conger rob bowron ronnie stoffel adam green Max Meyer, David Gerhardt, BT from the Dog Pod, Jordan Buckner, Tyler Murray, AZ Cat 737, Cole, Maddie Ice. Oh, you, you think that's it? We're going a second time. That's 70 people lost. Southwest sports fan, Zona Cat Jetton. Pullman Kid, Matthew Carpenter, CJ Akpinti, Matthew Schulte, 
Philly, Joel, JST, and Luis Rodriguez. May your memory last a thousand years. Sleep well.